Well, what did a failed coup attempt in Russia over the weekend reveal about the war in Ukraine, about Western intentions, about Western media bias and the like? For that, I want to bring in Colonel Douglas McGregor to get an, uh, an after action report, if you will, of this crazy weekend that we had. Colonel, it's good to see you here on, you know, on a, such a big news week and a big news story. Good to see you. Absolutely. So first, I want to put up these live maps. These are, I think, really helpful for our audience who might not be familiar of what this contested territory is. This The area that has voted, of course, to become part of Russia, the Donbass, what was eastern Ukraine. Here is the Russian live battle map. And you can see the line here. And then looks a little different than the Ukraine live battle map. So, so that no one can accuse us of bias here. These are the two different maps, one from the Russian side, one from the Ukrainian side of these live view maps of the battle right now. And over the weekend, the New York Times basically said, well, this didn't change the war at all. In fact, the West was, uh, the Ukraine, Ukraine failed to exploit this coup this weekend, that there was nothing they could do. They were, they failed to exploit this massive coup. Um, which was a kind of a crazy admission from the New York Times. But just based on this battle lines, what is your assessment of where things stand right now after this coup this weekend? If you look at the Russian map, you'll see that there are advances on the northeast side. If you if you just sort of regard the area under Russian control as a large banana that sort of runs uh, in that in that form, the Russians have made progress towards Kharkov. Uh, these have been uh, limited offensives, I think, to gain control of road nets and terrain that will facilitate a rapid offensive, which is to follow. There have been other areas where there have been some advances as well. The Ukrainians don't show as much of that for obvious reasons. The Ukrainian forces are, in fact, on the verge of collapse. They are totally demoralized. Uh, they've experienced large numbers of desertions to the Russian side and from the battlefield in general. Uh, people are going out of their way to avoid military service of any kind in Ukraine. So the Zelensky regime, regime is in a lot of trouble. And we'll, we, we need to talk about that because to some extent, uh, that explains why Prigozhin behaved the way he did. And, uh, if, if you, if you want to go there, we can go there now or we can continue yeah. to gaze at the map. No, no, I, I, I just wanted to kind of put in context when people, I think, people don't often understand that this, this portion of former Eastern Ukraine is now Russia and voted overwhelming, overwhelmingly to become part of Russia. And this is the area where there's sort of a tit for tat back and forth right now on, along this line. And this is the area where the Wagner forces were positioned, right? This was. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so Prigozhin then, of course, moves and makes this move over the weekend. Let's dive into exactly why he would have done this, given this timeline. What's your assessment of that? Well, Prigozhin is a complex figure. It, certain things need to be understood up front about him and Wagner. First, Americans need to understand that the Wagner group is really very analogous to the French Foreign Legion. Uh, if you're looking for an entity in the history of the French Republic that has fought harder than anyone else for France in both world wars and between the wars all over the world, it's the French Foreign Legion. I would say that you could say the same thing about the Wagner Group, uh, whatever their origins. And they're, they're certainly a creature to some extent of Russian intelligence for use overseas, but they have fought in this war tirelessly to advance the Russian cause, and they've taken the casualties to prove it. So they are enormously popular with the Russian people. The Russian people love Wagner. 
And the Russian people overwhelmingly like Prigozhin. Prigozhin's kind of an unattractive character to us in the West. He's very foul. He makes outrageous statements. He exaggerates, uh, and he has exaggerated his own importance on more than one occasion. He is not a professional soldier. But he is seen as a voice that the Russian people strongly support because of his ferocious determination to fight and win this war. And I think it has to be understood that the Russian people, large numbers of people in the Russian military establishment, are very frustrated with uh, Putin's exercise of considerable restraint. We in the West don't seem to understand that Putin has moved very cautiously and deliberately throughout this war. He doesn't want to provoke NATO intervention. He wants to avoid a war with the United States. And as a result, each of the gains that the Russians have made have been quite limited and incremental. And people are fed up with it. You've got a number of senior officers in the Russian military who don't like it. So when you look at the problems that uh, Prigozhin has had with uh, the Russian high command, he's been angry because he said he didn't get enough ammunition, angry because he didn't think his uh, soldiers were being adequately supported. Eventually, uh, Putin intervened. Uh, General Sotovikin was told, look, you, you've got to manage this. They're very good troops. Make sure he gets what he needs. And Sotovikin is very sympathetic to Prigozhin and, and his larger views, I think. But uh, Prigozhin decided it wasn't working and it wasn't enough. And I also think he knows he's not a professional soldier, so his ability beyond speaking publicly is limited. And I think he decided, I've got to get President Putin's attention. He needs to understand that the senior ranks need to be shaken up, that we need people with fire in the belly who want to go forward and crush the Ukrainians and be done with it. Hmm. And so I think he went down to Rostov, where, of course, there was no fighting, if you look at the shots that were made of his uh, discussion in the garden with the deputy chief of staff of the Russian general staff, they were very amicable. And I think these uh, few troops that he sent towards Moscow were not headed there to displace Putin at all. They were there to try and get his attention, deliver the message that we want to fight. We want to end this war <laughs> and we want better leadership from the military, not from President Putin. Well, this whole thing got out of control. It looked like something it wasn't. The West celebrated, thinking, oh, finally, somebody's standing up to the evil Putin. It's a lot of nonsense. They're all very supportive of President Putin. And when it became clear what had happened, Lukashenko, who has known Prigozhin for at least 20 years, talked to President Putin, who also knows Prigozhin. He understands what we've discussed. President Putin was furious. He mobilized 30,000 troops in uh, Moscow, he was ready to go down and crush all of this. When the Russian troops that had gone up there from Wagner, or the Wagner uh, Foreign Legion, if you will, put its arms down immediately because they didn't want to kill Russians. The Russians don't want to kill them. So it all kind of fizzled quickly, as we most of us thought that it would. But this is not somebody that you simply stand up against the wall and shoot. This is someone who is popular in Russia. He expresses a point of view that's not necessarily anti-Putin at all, but is very definitely sympathetic to the larger cause of let's end this war and get rid of these fascists that are sitting in Kiev. And so you're not going to shoot him. Lukashenko says, look, let me bring him up to Belarusia. I'll keep him under wraps till this thing is over. And I think that's effectively what's happened. Everybody has effectively been pardoned. Nobody's going back to prison. Nobody's going to be executed at this stage. Now, I do think that the Wagner group 
will see some of its forces broken up, not disbanded, but in smaller bites, 5,000, 4,000 troops moved into other areas in the future. And remember that this insistence by Prigozhin that they had been attacked by Russian forces was entirely nonsense. It was totally wrong. It never happened. That was his pretext to get people to react the way they did. So it's all over. But I do think that President Putin got the message. And I would look for some shakeups in the near future in the Russian high command. And I would be very surprised if we do not see an offensive begin soon. Hmm. Because frankly, there's nothing out there to stand up to the Russian offensive. And remember, the Russians have never, ever unleashed the full might of their force. Right. Uh, this has been a limited war from the beginning because Putin wants to live with Ukrainians after this is over. He's not interested in killing large numbers of people. What he wants is neutrality for whatever remains of Ukraine. That's his goal. That's his overriding interest. So I think we're going to see some things change. I don't know what they'll be. I don't know who will go, who will stay. It won't happen all at once, but something will change up there. And then we'll see this offensive. And, you know, just imagine you're a Russian soldier in one of these defensive positions. You've trained to fight. You've trained to attack. And you're saying, look, this is ridiculous. Look what we've done to these people. We've slaughtered them. Let's get this over with. I don't want to be here in another year. And I mean, I felt that way in 1991 when Colin Powell and others were saying, well, perhaps we should just go to a Korean style frozen conflict, build a new DMZ between Kuwait and Saudi Arabia. Well, I was horrified. Large numbers of the generals thought, oh, well, this is good that we don't have to fight. But the soldiers, we were furious. So let's get this over with, be done with it. Fortunately, that's what happened. And President Bush, to his credit, said, no, we're going to attack. And we did. I think there are similar feelings now on the Russian side. Hmm. So a couple of things there. So this really, I mean, Putin seemed like he was pissed. And he mentioned multiple times in that speech, this is treason. This is mutiny. Uh, this is a betrayal. Betrayal, he said a number of times. Um, so... It doesn't seem like Putin's the kind of guy to to do what others ask him to do. But you say he seems to get the message here. He probably got the message here. I mean, he goes up and he's now with Lukashenko. He'll be pardoned. Doesn't look like any of these people are going to be prosecuted. And it's all sort of a well. It was a rough weekend. We had a we had a family dispute. <laughs> we had a family dispute. Uncle Larry got a little drunk. And it got a little feisty. And that's really what this was. I mean, is at the end of the day, this is how they're going to handle this? Well, look at the, look at this from the vantage point of a, of mafia disputes. Mm. The five families uh, got into a dispute, but everyone decided very quickly, we don't want a war. Mm. The war will be, uh, you know, destructive and self-defeating. And so the bosses backed off and the big boss said, all right, Back off, get back to work, behave yourselves, and uh, you can survive. Remember, Putin right now is much more like the czar. And czars have had trouble with people before. I could go back to uh, a long way and find this uh, with uh, Alexander II, Alexander III, Nicholas I. They, they all had disputes. There were, from time to time, irascible generals who uh, wanted to take sterner action than the czar was prepared to take. In most cases, these people were not harmed. They were not in prison. They were not jailed. They were sent away and told to shut up and color for a while, but they were not executed. 
and people should not mistake this for weakness. Russians like this. They like the fact that Putin said, all right, enough's enough. You're not going to be executed. If, if in fact, this had been different, if this had been a real coup attempt, which it was not, if this had been a genuine uprising, which it was not, then the Russian people would expect total annihilation of the enemy. But they know this is not the case. So is this business as usual? No. But it's it's an important event, and I think the entire Russian population will now look for that determined offensive that they've waited so long for to see an end uh, of this war and an end to Zelensky. Now, there's something else that needs to be brought up. Zelensky has talked in recent days and weeks about uh, effectively destroying or attempting to destroy the Zaborozhye nuclear power plant. Now, most of the reactors there have been essentially shut down, but he keeps pushing for this. And there is a real fear on the Russian side that he may try to do damage there, release radiation, effectively creating the equivalent of a dirty bomb, try to blame it on the Russians, which people like Graham and Blumenthal and Blinken and the rest of the gang will all stand up and say, see, these Russians did it. Just imagine you've, you've got these very foolish men in the Senate, Blumenthal and Graham, sponsoring legislation that would trigger an immediate nuclear exchange with Russia if something like this were to happen. You have Prigozhin and Russian generals watching this, saying this is terrible. So what's your solution? End the war. Attack. Get this over with. Hmm. The longer it drags on, the greater the potential for this kind of false flag that could lead to a major war. I think that, too, is in the back of his mind and in the backs of the minds of many senior Russian officers. And so at the end of the day, when you look at this map, you look at the the, the, the this weekend's activities and the New York Times admitting that they didn't exploit any kind of opening, a weakness on the side of the Russians. In fact, Russians fired over 50 missiles at multiple targets this weekend uh, and weakening other positions. So it didn't appear that there was any weakness to exploit. Um, what does Ukraine do from here? I mean, we see Zelensky now going to call up any active male, any male of able-bodied that will serve. They'll be pulled, pulled into the meat grinder. Uh, this is like a last gasp here. Oh, I think you've summed it up beautifully. <clears throat> it is a last gasp for Zelensky and his crew and the various people that support him. Uh, he, he hasn't got much rope left. Because once this offensive begins and rolls up the rest of uh, eastern Ukraine, I also expect the Russians to cross the Dnieper and go down and seize Odessa. Now, at that point, there may be a pause. And I think uh, Putin will look to the West. I think he's hopeful that the Germans will find a new government. Uh, you know, right now, I think uh, Schultz's position in the polls is below 30 percent approval. Under normal circumstances, I think they'd have already had a no-confidence vote. I think he hopes that that will happen. I don't know what the situation is in France, but every time I talk to my friends there, they talk about Macron as though he's about as popular as the plague. And then finally, you have London. And uh, the, the most important f feature of London is this false news and false narrative that continues to be disseminated in Great Britain, particularly in England, to turn people against Russia. But even there, that narrative is wearing thin, and people are beginning to wonder, why are we doing this? Does this make sense? Especially when you look at the state of the armed forces in all three of those countries, 
France, Britain, and Germany. What are they going to do? Well, the answer is not much. And then finally, there's Poland. And I think the polls indicate that the Polish population is now no longer enthusiastic about becoming part of a war with Russia. So, you know, Putin wants to exercise restraint. He wants to be patient. He wants these things to to happen. In other words, he wants to give time for things to develop. So what happened over the weekend in Russia? Big picture. Well, let's uh, make sure we understand what did not happen. This was not a coup d'etat. This was not an attempt to remove Putin. I think uh, Mr. Prigozhin, who is a well-known irritant to the high command in the Russian military, decided that he would uh, make a spectacle uh, of things because Wagner Group is under threat of dissolution. Uh, There are a number of legal issues involved, but originally Wagner was uh, invented by the intelligence community to go overseas to give uh, the Russian state a certain amount of plausible deniability, but to operate primarily beyond Russia's borders. Obviously, Wagner has come back and has fought inside uh, Russia, and he wanted to make sure that Wagner survived. Now, I'm not sure that it will, certainly not in the form that it once did, but that was one of his motives. The second motive, I think, which is important, is that he's fed up as many people are, to be perfectly blunt, with the Russian high command. He thinks that the war should be prosecuted much more violently, much more aggressively, and that it is in the interest of the Russian people to bring this war to a close as quickly as possible. So in his mind, he was sending a contingent to Moscow to signal to Putin, look, we're we're serious, we want to survive, and we want to win this war. I think some of the soldiers in Wagner were actually under the impression that they were going to rescue Mr. Putin. They certainly did not see themselves as removing the man at all. And clearly there was nobody out there supporting Mr. Prigozhin in any sort of attempt to remove Putin. I think everyone was somewhat shocked by what Prigozhin did, although given his past antics, I'm not sure they should have been. But uh, this was not an act of high treason, per se, as originally uh, accused or alleged, and that's why Putin uh, has not uh, imprisoned him, has not had him executed, and has not imprisoned or incarcerated his soldiers. Is it fair to say that through intelligence sources, Putin knew what you've just characterized to us? He knew this was not a threat to his regime. He knew they meant no uh, violence. He knew this was just another antic by his, as you call him, principal irritant. I I don't know that that's the case. I think initially he was also taken aback by this action. I mean, you know, you bring several thousand troops with you to Rostov to the scene of the theater headquarters, and then you send a contingent north towards Moscow. It was uh, frightening enough or at least concerning enough that 30,000 troops in the Moscow garrison were alerted. The interior, the Ministry of the Interior Division along with a a motorized rifle division and a tank division. They're all there, and they were prepared to act. And then ultimately we have aircraft and helicopters that were dispatched uh, to to take Wagner under fire. So I'm, I'm not sure that was clear, but it became clear to him in time, and I think one of the reasons for that was Lukashenko's uh, willingness to intercede and speak directly to Prigozhin. And those two men have known each other for 20 years, so Lukashenko was a good choice for that. And, and even though, and we'll see this when I, when I read some of, um, 
Prigozhin's statements in a moment, he makes a point that no one on the ground was killed. His people took out 12 Russian helicopters and killed 20 people aboard them. Well, I don't know about the numbers of helicopters, but he did not want to shed any Russian blood. That's quite clear. And when it became clear that that might become unavoidable, he halted the whole thing. We, we need to understand something. This is Russia. This is not the United States. This is not the West. Uh, Prigozhin and the Wagner Group are extremely popular inside Russia. The Wagner Group is the co- contemporary Russian equivalent of the French Foreign Legion. Whatever these men have done in the past, like the French Foreign Legion, they have fought with distinction for the Russian state and people. They are Russian patriots. If you try to undertake any action against the French Foreign Legion, the whole French country will stand up against you. They all love the Legion. This is also true in Russia. And so Putin had to consider carefully what was really happening, and he listened. And I think Putin has demonstrated he's absolutely not Stalin, because we know what would have happened under the Soviets. He's very much like a czar. He recognizes these people are patriots, and he's taken the appropriate actions. And we'll see how it ultimately turns out. But there's no threat to Putin. Putin is firmly in control. We can talk about what he may need to do now, though, to strengthen his position. Before we get to that, and to your point about the popularity uh, of the uh, Wagner group, uh, here's a series of clips taken by the American uh, independent video journalist who's been on this show, Patrick uh, Lancaster. Uh, these are clips taken in Rostov-on-Don uh, and of uh, Mr. Prigozhin as he's leaving Rostov-on-Don in, in some sort of a vehicle. I'll, uh, I'll narrate because um, there are subtitles. And Penny, God help you. We pray for you. Thank you. We are with you. How was the result for today? What? How was the result for today? What's next? No, the result. Oh, the result is normal. Normal. We energize them all. Good luck. Take care. Take care. What do you think about the Wagner? They are nice guys, really. Yes, we were not afraid at all. We are people of the same blood. What is the situation? Super, great, top level. No problems today? No problem. Can you tell us again? You know, there is no conflict. Everything is great. We love our president. Our president is the best one. We love Wagner and our defense minister. Wagner is the strongest assault group in the world. Was I afraid? No. What is the situation? Effing great. Really good. What are you going to do now? Work, work. Really? Keep working. Guys, you are great. This is also a victory. No matter who says what, we will win. So by noon, we were terrorists, and in the afternoon, we are great guys. Come on. You know yourself. All right, this is all anecdotal, but very interesting. The soldier at the end, at noon, we were terrorists. Yeah. At the end of the day, we were uh, we were great guys. When Vladimir Putin called them terrorists, stabbed in the back, punishment inescapable, did he really believe that? Did he not know what he knows now? Did he think he was going to have to fight to preserve his presidency? 
I, I think he actually considered that that was a very real possibility. I don't think he understood the big picture, but obviously it was very quickly communicated to him. And to his credit, he was able to say, all right, well, then this is what's going to happen. And uh, Lukashenko was, I think, instrumental in that process. How long will Prigozhin stay alive? Uh, well, most Russians don't live much beyond 70. Uh, they drink too much vodka. And I'm sure that that probably applies to Mr. Prigozhin, but I don't see any evidence that he's in any danger of being uh, executed to this point. And I think his Wagner group will probably not operate in the future as it has in the past as one body, effectively as an independent core. I think we will see bodies to four or 5,000 Wagner troops operating within the larger framework of the Russian army, though. Colonel, when um, Mr. Prigozhin uh, issued those bombastic, over-the-top denunciations of the uh, defense minister and, and made other statements in connection with that, you and I uh, reviewed them a couple of times. Was he capturing the views of the Russian public impatient with the war? Was he articulating the views of his fellow oligarchs, many of whom are to the right of President Putin politically? <clears throat> Judge, and, and again, I have to speculate. Let's keep in mind one thing right up front. <clears throat> These are Russians. These are not Americans. These are not West Europeans. Russians are different. They think very differently than we do. So we have to keep that in mind. Uh, I think that Prigozhin, who was unquestionably concerned about the Wagner group, is one of those people who has been very unhappy with the slow, deliberate conduct of operations. He uh, admires and I think esteems Vladimir Putin. I think most of them do. But he's frustrated with this so-called special military operation. He's been heard saying, let's get on with it. It's a war. Let's declare war. Let's crush these people. You'll recall we talked earlier and he had mentioned, let's nationalize or national, uh, nationally mobilize and fight this to the finish. Right. There are a lot of Russians who feel that way. I think soldiers in the field right now are sitting there saying, look, how long are we going to sit here? When do we attack? I, I understand that. I went through that in 1990 and 91. And uh, many of us were very concerned when Colin Powell and others expressed the uh, point of view that, well, perhaps we should have a Korean-like frozen war here. We can mm. set up another DMZ. Here we're sitting in this uh, sandbox, and we said, we don't want to be here in 12 months. Let's attack and get this over with and be done with it. Fortunately, President Bush overrode him, and we attacked. Thank goodness. The, the point is, I think that's the attitude in the Russian military. Now, there are people in the high command that hate uh, Prigozhin, and I could understand that. He's an, an annoyance. Uh, some of his uh, criticisms were valid. Some were not. But you can't dispute the effectiveness of his organization. Now, what we don't know is uh, what will happen in the future. I think Prigozhin will go to Belarusia. Uh, I think that most of the Wagner formations will survive but end up elsewhere. What happens next is unclear, but I think the message was received by President Putin. The message is, let's fight and get this over with. And there are reasons why he feels that way. And some of this has to do with, I think, recent pronouncements by Zelensky and Budova, his intelligence chief, about the wisdom of attacking the Zaborysia nuclear power plant. Right. 
You know, the Russians have always feared this dirty bomb from the Ukrainian side and then the predisposition to blame it on Russia, thereby creating a catalyst for a confrontation between Russia, NATO, and the United States. Mr. Putin doesn't want that. Nobody does. Mr. Putin has said we'll move slowly, deliberately, making it very clear what our aims are, that they're limited. But you have people in the high command, and I think Prigozhin was speaking for some of them, that are saying, no, the way to fix this is to end it quickly before this kind of thing happens before we have a larger war. So there are two sides of this coin. Colonel, we need to take a break. When we come back, what does Joe Biden have to say about this? And what does Admiral Kirby, the mouthpiece for the Pentagon, have to say about this? More with Colonel McGregor right after this. You want to feel safe in your vehicle. And for you, that means easy, rapid access to your firearm. But safety also means your items don't fall into the wrong hands. You don't have to choose between safety and convenience. The Headrest Safe keeps your firearm where you can access it, and no one else can. Just order your Headrest Safe. Install it yourself when it arrives, and enjoy peace of mind. It starts at theheadrestsafe.com. Here's um, Secretary Blinken yesterday on CNN. We've seen this aggression against Ukraine become a strategic failure across the board. Russia is weaker economically, militarily. It's standing around the world has plummeted. It's managed to get Europeans off of Russian energy. It's managed to unite uh, and strengthen NATO with with new members and a stronger alliance. It's managed to uh, alienate uh, from Russia and unite together Ukraine in ways that it's never been before. This is just an added uh, chapter to a very, very bad book that uh, Putin has written for Russia. He has to know that none of that is accurate. No. No, in fact, Russia... Russian society is more cohesive now than perhaps it's been in decades. And the Russian military is larger and more powerful. And the will to win is stronger than it's ever been. And and I really wish we had similar cohesion here in the United States. Uh, so, no, that's that's utter nonsense. But what would you expect the man to say? Yeah, uh, No one in Washington is going to step forward and say, hey, we made a terrible mistake and we created a, a monster far greater and more powerful than the one we thought we were defeating. Uh, I wonder if the CIA knew about this ahead of time. There was a uh, intelligence briefing to the gang of eight. You know what that is, the Congress within the Congress, in my view, profoundly unconstitutional because they can't repeat what they hear. But that's another story for another time. But the intelligence community briefed the gang of eight on Wednesday. It could have been about something else or it could have been, hey, guys, watch your television on Saturday. Well, a friend of mine who's in Hollywood and I, believe it or not, I do have a couple of friends in Hollywood. <laughs> One of them said to me, you know, the, these people are like movie producers who've never produced a movie. Suddenly a movie shows up in the local theater and they step forward to take uh, credit for it. And I think that's uh, that's the intel community. They, they've got ideological blinders on. They're busy telling their masters what they want to hear. And, and I think large numbers of, of them are ideological fellow travelers with Blinken and and the rest of them, they want to wage this war against the Russians, something which I don't think Americans are slightly interested in at all. Here is uh, President Biden just about an hour ago. I also convened our key allies on uh, on a Zoom call to make sure we're all on the same page. It's critical that 
We're coordinated in our response and coordinated in what we to anticipate. We agree. They agreed with me that we had to make sure we gave Putin no excuse. Let me emphasize. We gave Putin no excuse to blame this on the West or to blame this on NATO. We made clear that we were not involved. We had nothing to do with it. This was part of a struggle within the Russian system. Is this one of the times that you and I and everybody watching us now can agree that old Joe is right? <laughs> yeah, well, he is right in this sense that, no, we didn't precipitate it. But, gee, it was interesting over the last 24 to 48 hours to listen to all the cheers erupting from places like CNN and MSNBC. You know, the usual suspects from Ann Applebaum to uh, uh, our friend Blinken and others, uh, Max Boot. Oh, this is wonderful. We're getting rid of Putin. Putin is failing. It's all nonsense. We know that now. I wonder what Victoria Nuland is cooking up now. I'm not going to ask you to, uh, to speculate on that. Uh, here's uh, <laughs> here's Admiral. <laughs> we'll both get in trouble. Here's Admiral uh, Kirby, and you won't be surprised at what he says. Our focus is on making sure that they have what they need to succeed, whether it's training, tools, equipment. And you're going to see uh, another round of support announced from this administration for Ukraine in terms of weapons and capabilities this week. So we are focused on that. That's that's what uh, that's where our heads are. More uh, weapons, more equipment that the Biden administration will announce. What what, what do you think uh, will become of the war? Did uh, will Putin take President Putin take seriously the lesson, the lesson of uh, Mr. Prigozhin's uh, episode uh, and wage uh, the war more aggressively to get it the heck over with? Or or does he want history to recognize him as patient and methodical, for which some of us have praised him in the past? Well, first, I think uh, we may end up having another $6.2 billion you know, mistake in the accounting system in the Pentagon so that we can nice. save more money in the future. Uh, since uh, we we shattered the debt ceiling, we've added $700 billion to the national sovereign debt. What a catastrophe. Yes. Uh, when you The first question you have to answer is, what about Germany? Germany's sliding into a depression, in my judgment. If it's not a depression, a very severe recession, uh, I don't see any future for the German scientific industrial base or their standard of living right now, given what's happened. Macron is certainly not winning any popular co- popularity contests in France. And I don't know what the story is on Sunak. Most people are pretty disgusted and don't see much difference between him and his predecessors. So I, if I were sitting next to Putin, I think Putin would probably say, uh, if we're a little patient, we may see changes in Europe and those changes could produce peace. I'm sure that's in the back of his mind. However, he has the Russian population to think of. He may be a czar-like figure, but the Russian people want this to end, and they want a clear, unambiguous victory. I think he knows that, and I think he's going to try and do both the things that you mentioned. I'm not sure he's going to be entirely successful in doing them both, but I think he will take over all of eastern Ukraine, and I think he'll turn down on Odessa. Then I think he'll pause and wait to see what happens. But if nothing happens, we may well see another three or 400,000 troops added to the Russian military as they press further west. Are we still going to be talking about this conflagration, whether you call it a war or a special military operation, come the fall, two, three, four months from, well, four months from now? 
Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I may not be militarily significant. In other words, the military uh, piece of this may have been decided, but the question is, what do we do? How do we react? No one in Washington wants to step forward and say, you know, I made a mistake. You know, this was the wrong course of action. Let's uh, do what is in the interest of the Ukrainian people as well as Europe. We need peace in Europe. There's nobody like that. Now, the good news is you've got Donald Trump, RFK Jr. These people are against the war. They have mm-hmm. enormous support. They want to focus on what's happening at home. They want to focus on the border, restore the rule of law, all the right things. And that, I think, will ultimately win out. But in the meantime, uh, let's wait and see. But I think we may see a far more aggressive, far more determined Russian advance than anything we've seen to date.